and uh, welcome to what is episode one of Flynn's Talk, uh, aptly named because at the moment uh, we can't do Flynn's Walk, so um, we've decided to turn our attention and energy into to doing a podcast. Uh, I'm Jack Levitt, um, one of the co-founders that got Flynn's Walk up and running. Um, Flynn was a close friend of mine and, and also Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Gelman, my co-host um, here on this episode, Jez nice to be back behind the mic with you it is it's been it's been a little while what's it 10 more than 10 years it must have been since we hosted the uh, infamous enigma on sin radio show yeah that's it that um that certainly ran its course throughout late high school and and early years of uni and further study but um yeah to think uh, we'd be here doing this now um getting back behind the mics well we, we never would have thought probably under the circumstances that we are but um here we are and, and it's great to be able to i guess share um some of our our learning and some of our thinking and and some of our amazing uh network that we've built up uh throughout the time we've short time we've been running flynn's walk yeah well that's it i think um the idea of this is to sort of bring some of the people that we've met through this through this uh, journey and sort of introduce them to all of you out there and hopefully spread a, f- spread a few messages along the way. That's it. And, and at the moment, um, the reason for not running the walks, obviously, is uh, the coronavirus pandemic that's broken out worldwide and affected yep. everyone. I think if you don't know what's going on with that, then... You're under a serious rock. That's it. So um, just a quick disclaimer, Jez and I are behind the mics, but separately. So Jez is at home in his study and I'm, I'm sitting in the bedroom at the moment, which is um, acoustically not too bad, um, given the number of clothes and things that are in here. So that's good. But uh, we've had to bring it inside. Just a picture. You do look like you're in a, uh, in a bit of a dungeon. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of um, if we were recording the Zoom feed, Jez and I are watching each other on camera feed, which is nice. Um, it's somewhat of a weird hostage situation, but... Um, that's okay. Yeah. So, Jez, uh, we, we, we didn't really know where to start with something like this, but we thought, well, we've got a bigger mental health umbrella that we're trying to talk to. Um, it's been one hell of a couple of years, that's for sure. But I think um, the best place to start for us seemed to be with, with the vet uh, industry itself. So the veterinarians, the nurses, the practice managers, practice owners, all the people that are working their butts off. And, and particularly like in this time, it's been even harder um, for vets, I guess, to, to be dealing with um, clients with adjusted work hours and adjusted work methods. So I think it, I think what we're looking to do here is just shed some light on what's happening inside the, inside the clinics. Yeah, well, they, I mean, they are essentially frontline workers. They're, they're doing, they're not, they're not saving people's lives, but they're still, they're looking after our animals. They're, they're still trying to do their everyday job. Um, and do it with the constraints that that the coronavirus is bringing. Yeah, exactly. And those constraints, I think, have shown in many industries, not just the vet field, but industries everywhere that you have to be agile, you've got to be flexible. And I think that's something that vets and and, and the surrounding professionals in the, in the industry have been really good at for a long time. But now it's it's sort of at the forefront with them being frontline workers, as you said, and being, being there as an essential service in this time. Um, their flexibility and agility that we keep hearing about has been amazing. So we've actually had a lot of contact with the Green Cross vets over the past six odd months, um, and they've we've sort of been working together to see how we can make a difference in their practices, how we can use them to help spread our message. Um, and we thought we would talk to a couple of them, a couple of the head honchos on today's podcast, and 
get a bit of an insight of how Green Cross are coping with this current climate and what's changed. Time now to bring in our guests from Green Cross Network, uh, Dr. Magdalene Hayward, who is the Chief Veterinary Officer for Green Cross Vets, and also Dr. James Carroll, who is the uh, is an emergency vet and now the National Operations Manager for the Emergency and Specialist Services within the Green Cross Network. Oh, that was a mouthful. We got through there. Uh, welcome, Mags. Thank you. And welcome, James. Hi, guys. Lovely to be here. Um, for the benefit of uh, everyone who's uh, tuning in to listen, a uh, perfect place to start, I think, would be to introduce yourselves and, and your role within Green Cross. Uh, we'll go with you first, Mags. Okay, so um, it's Mags here. So I'm the, um, I'm the Chief Veterinary Officer for Green Cross. Um, we have about 150 Green Cross general practice clinics in our network across Australia. And um, I sort of, um, I'm, 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 I'm part of the... Um, the team that looks after, I guess, the, the veterinary operations and, um, I guess, quality control um, of the organisation. And um, whilst I don't directly manage staff on the ground, um, I, you know, we, we set the policies, the procedures um, and, I guess, the strategy for Green Cross going forward, ensuring that, um, I guess, we, we our standards of care are high um, and making sure that our team um, is all on board with what we're um, trying to achieve in our practices. Great. And James, you you sit across more of the emergency and specialist side, obviously, of the network. Correct. Yeah, I, I work across uh, our emergency and specialty network around Australia, which we've got uh, 18 different businesses uh, providing emergency and specialty care around Australia. Um, I come to this as an emergency vet who's then progressed more through into management. And my job really is to work with those businesses to make sure they're getting the resources uh, and all the things they need to be able to provide care when people really need it. And we've actually got a couple of our little fundraising kits um, out in the uh, a VRH and an ARH um, already, which has been which has been awesome to already, I guess, have connected with Green Cross Network um, as well as myself being a pet owner and have a local GX clinic just around the corner. Um, speaking of that, um, I'm a cat owner. I wanted to just first of all address the 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 main thing here, which is the pet lineup. Mags, what's the pet lineup at home? The pet lineup for me. Oh, geez. Okay, so um, we've just recently got a new puppy, just like probably everybody else across Australia. Uh, a little um, Kelpie. She's, yeah. She. Uh, we got her two weeks ago. She was ten weeks old, and she's. Um, her name is Sky, and wow. she joins our other oh, two good. Kelpies. I've got a three-year-old um, adolescent. I would call him um, <laughs> Kelpie. He's a blue Kelpie. Yeah. His name is Blue, of course. And um, oh, I've got a uh, 12-year-old um, Kelpie and his name is Rex. So we recently lost our 17-year-old Kelpie uh, Don um, last year, so we had to sort of replace him and that's why we got the new puppy. Um, so we are very much a um, Kelpie-driven household. Um, but, but it, look, you know, they're, they're wonderful dogs and I guess, um, you know, one of the things I've, I've, I've learned in the past is that um, – you know, a house without animals is, is sort of a house like without kids. It kind of doesn't it doesn't seem like it's a full house. But with two young kids, I've got an, I've got a I've got two girls, eight and ten. And um, the wonderful thing about raising puppies is um, they're very similar to raising kids. <laughs> you know, you set the boundaries. You know, you could probably get the textbook out and go, go. How do I raise kids? How do I raise puppies? Very similar, setting the boundaries, expectations, and um, 
you know, it's been great for the girls. They've learned, they've really learned how to um, take responsibility and look after a puppy, which has been great. Oh, even with those extreme puppy dog eyes, hey? Yeah, I tell you what, you know, the little one, Sky, it, it just brings you back, back all the memories of when you had kids, you know, waking up early in the morning and having to take them out or changing nappies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're, they're a handful, aren't they? Absolutely. James, your uh, lineup? Uh, so, yes, I, I'm very, I've had Kelpies all my life, but with our last dog, we actually changed tack a little bit and we've got a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel called George, who is, uh, he's four years old. King George. Ah, uh, you would, you would not meet a more chilled out dude. Um, just wants to hang out with you. Um, he is bomb proof, you know, anything. He's just not got a worry in the world, George. Also correlates with the fact that George is not intelligent, um, but he's not worried either. Oh, so, you know. He's not listening. Uh, um, <laughs> and I've got a, a, a cat who's about uh, 12 years old now, Rex, who we bought back from when we lived in the UK. Um, and I'm very fortunate. We were living in the country and uh, we had to sell our farm and move back to the city. And uh, we're very lucky that our, our horse, Bill, um, the new owners took him on. So he's uh, he's down there living a beautiful life in retirement with his uh, two adoring owners. He's got the uh, the best life out of all of my pets, I think, Bill. Excellent work. Um, now, I, just sh- just shifting the direction slightly, um, a bit more operational. I, maybe I misread a tweet, something about cats driving themselves to vets at the moment or mags is that right are cats driving themselves to the clinic or was it the cats being handed over outside vet clinics i reckon if cats could drive themselves they probably would you know that's how they are you know they, they, they actually tell you what to do and i'm sure they'll um yeah one day they'll work out a way to do that so no what it is is um we've we've initiated what we've called minimal contact procedures so whilst we're um in the COVID era and we're ensuring that um we keep our staff safe um and our clients safe i guess what we've done is we've, we've worked out that we can still see our clients' pets and treat our patients without actually having face-to-face contact with our, with our clients. So it really is about um, social distancing and making sure that, um, you know, we adhere to that. But at the same time, we're still able to treat patients um, in a timely manner. So the clients will be screened beforehand when they make their appointment. So if you ring up and make an appointment with us, we'll ask you a few questions, you know, whether you're sick. Whether you've travelled internationally, I guess now that's a bit different because everybody hasn't travelled for a while, um, and whether um, you've been in contact with somebody who um, has COVID or has been isolating due to potential COVID. So when we've asked those questions, obviously we've screened our clients, and then when they do come for their appointment, they have to ring us, and we actually um, we actually then go to the car and pick up their pet. We examine the animal and call them um, from our um, from our hospital and um, we then give them the information they need over the phone. And the reason we've done that is because although we can see them face-to-face, it really is about minimising any kind of, um, I guess, potential um, contact with clients because even though, um, you know, we have low-risk clients because we've screened them, we we just don't know. And so in order to be um, provide our Client, we provide our staff with a safe environment. We've gone down that path, and a lot of other vets have done the same thing. Um, it doesn't mean, you know, it, you know what it does is it just draws out the process. It actually makes our consult time a little bit longer, um, but we've accounted for that. And clients have actually been fantastic about it. They're really grateful that number one, that we're still open and we're still seeing them, 
Um, but number two, they're grateful for the fact that we've um, taken their health and safety into consideration, which I think is a really big thing for us as well. And I think it was really important that it was led um, uh, led in an effort to try and make our staff comfortable because uh, at the very start of this, um, we had a, a, you know, a lot of work went into analysing what we needed to do, what we should do, how that was working, um, what everyone thought about it. But at the, at the end of the day, it, our staff said, this is, this is what we want to make us feel comfortable in coming to work every day. And, you know, during this pandemic, obviously, as a manager, I've been working from home. So it's very easy for, for me from my ivory tower in my bedroom to say, please go to work, make sure you, you know, continue to work um, because we need to. And it's so important. And it is what we do is vitally important. We're an essential service. It's super important that we're there to provide care for these animals. But what what is uh, what is equally is important is that we look after our, after our staff and that they're comfortable in coming to work, knowing that we're doing everything we can to keep them and our clients safe and to minimise the risk. And once we, uh, once we were, you know, aware of what they needed and what they wanted, and we were able to provide that for them, um, it's been a really smooth process. And uh, Mags and the team centrally have really been excellent at, at getting a clear, consistent message out to our sites and getting everyone on board. And in in terms of the the emergency side of things. Um, when you're looking at sort of screening people when time may be of the essence, is that is that still going smoothly? It is. So um, one one of the things that uh, what this this pandemic has brought to the front is people's resourcefulness and finding different solutions to problems. So um, one, we use uh, where possible and people have called ahead. We're actually SMSing him those screening questions in a Google form. Okay, so they're actually able to answer those questions, you know, from the comfort of the passenger seat on their way in. Um, additionally, when a when what we would call a level one triage turns up, so uh, a patient's been hit by a car, a patient who is uh, seriously uh, unwell, um, the client the client alerts us to their presence. We uh, then have our triage nurse come to the scene to take that patient um, from that client, either directly or via a cage. And then, whilst that is occurring. Reception is asking those screening questions. You know, it only takes a few seconds to ask them. And if there is, if there is a positive to those screening questions, that person is unwell or should be self-isolating, then we just have to press pause for a few seconds to make sure we've got the appropriate PPE on before we engage. So in most cases, it's adding no time at all. Um, in cases where we are identifying that uh, COVID risk factor, then it's adding a few seconds, their PPE strapped up next to the door. Um, they throw that on, out they go, take the patient. We do have to be aware of any additional risk factors that that patient may hold in terms of uh, acting as a fomite or, or an ability to, um, to carry the virus on its fur or in other ways. So, you know, we do have to think always about the workplace health and safety of our staff uh, and put their, their needs at the forefront whilst simultaneously delivering that care. And so what we also did at the start, um, just to just to sort of be up front, is we, we told our staff that vets are really good at going to work when they're sick, right? We know that from history. I mean, I did it, James did it. We don't want to let the team down because we know that if one team member is sick, everybody else has to carry the load. And very early on in the piece, we said, guys, even if you think you're going to be sick, right, you wake up, you've got a bit of a sore throat, but you normally show up to work. We don't want you at work. In fact, 
if you do come to work, we're going to send you home. Um, and that really set the, I guess, set the set the scene for us and set set the expectations for them that they could take that day off and not really feel guilty about it because we are very good at coming to work when we're sick as vets. But the other thing we did as an organisation is we actually said, right, what do our staff need from us in order to make them feel like they can take time off if they have to self-isolate or if they have somebody at home who is high risk or is immunocompromised, like someone who is pregnant, or they have a family member living with them that's elderly um, or is on medication for a chronic disease. So we started to think about what we should do, and our, our, our organisation said, right, we're going to have an extra two weeks of COVID leave for our staff. That was on top of any other entitlements that they are normally able to have, like sick leave and, um, and any leave like that. So that really just gave people an opportunity to... Um, to utilise that leave if they needed to without feeling like they were going to lose any income. That became a really important factor and we extended that to our casual staff, which was fantastic. Yeah, that's wonderful. And you've got to remember that these these people are worried. They're worried about their health. They're worried about their job, you know. And 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 I have to really have a massive um, shout-out to our staff because we've come, they've come to us with problems. We've said, okay, we've got problems. What we actually need from everyone here is, you know, from an epidemiological point of view, there's a whole bunch of things we need you to do. We need you to not come to work if you're sick. We need you to do all those things that we've talked about. Additionally, we're going to need you to work differently right now. And as a business, we all want to just come out the other side of this uh, with everyone healthy and with our businesses intact so that we can employ you all. So what we need from you is flexibility and adaptability. And not, not one problem with that. They've all just said, great, okay. What do we need to do? You give us what we need. We'll give you what you need. Let's just work together. And it's been a really positive, uh, a really positive experience. And you know what it's actually what it's actually shown us is you know our, in our line of work as veterinarians, we're actually problem solvers. And what we found was our staff became really good problem solvers and 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 really kind of um, innovative in the way that they were doing things. So you know that 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 to us was a real testament to um, to our teams that they were actually able to come up with some great ideas. You know, individually as a team um, in their own particular clinics, and then we were able to roll some out to to the other clinics close by. So, it just you know it just goes to show that um, you know we're not set in our ways as vets, and we can adapt and change as required, which is good. Yeah, and and you should be commended as well for for um, arming your network to be able to do that in this time. Um, it's something we've been talking about is that agility and flexibility. Um, within within many fields, but particularly the vet field, which is one that we're passionate about. Um, giving some insight into, I'm somewhat of a, well, maybe I'm a vicarious uh, dog owner. I don't own a dog at the moment. I've grown up with dogs, but when I'm at the dog park, um, I imagine I own about 85 dogs and my girlfriend's the same, but can I pat them? Am I going to get coronavirus? Please, what what do I do? What can I, can I, can I pat the dogs or not? I guess the most important thing is, um, you know, we are in a, um, We've been given a directive that we need to um, socially um, distance ourselves from other people, and obviously we can we can do that as much as we can. Doesn't mean that our our pets um, need to socially distance themselves from other dogs, but certainly from other people. And the reason that we say that is because you know if we if we allow dogs off leash and and, and to interact with each other, you know what we don't want to do is we don't want to have people coming. And congregating together. So I think some dog parks have been closed. I can't be sure that all of them have. 
and it's to prevent people from congregating because we know dog parks are a great way for people to socialise, but it's hard to maintain social distancing when you've got, you know, all these people hanging around at once. And I think um, allowing other dogs to to interact with each other is great, um, but in a safe in a safe way. So, you know, if you were walking, you know, if, if you had your dog on a lead and you were going for a walk, so long as, you know, you were socially distancing yourself from another person and maintaining the two metres, you know, your dogs can interact, but the preference is that you don't pet other pets um, yourself um, and, you know, because you haven't really screened that client, you don't know what that, what household that's come from. And, you know, although we know that um, that pets don't act as great fomites for transmission of coronavirus, um, we just don't know the whole risk. So fomite is a carrier, is that right? Fomite's a carrier? A vehicle, basically. So, so yeah, yeah. If you were to, if you were to have coronavirus yourself, and you were to cough on your dog, um, then the virus, uh, just like on stainless steel or on other uh, objects, can survive for a period of time on the dog. So it is possible that the dog could act like that, but our understanding thus far is that they're not great fomites. It's possible, but it's not highly probable. Beyond that, you know, there are a few studies um, which have all made the news where um, they were able to experimentally induce COVID-19-based infection into cats. Um, famously, the, the um, big cat at New York Zoo was affected. Um, beyond that, there were a couple of dogs who tested positive. I guess the, the take-home from that is, is that we don't really think at this stage that there is a role of transmission um, for pets. So, uh, Transmission is human to human, as far as we understand. Um, the dogs who are in high degree of contact with coronavirus, and the same applies for cats, um, maybe may be able to replicate. You may be able to isolate the virus from them, but we don't necessarily see that being transferred to humans. So they may well be what we call terminal hosts. So once they get it, they get it in a mild form, and that's it. The jury's still out, and. So our recommendation is, is that if you're isolating, your pet should be isolating with you and shouldn't be spreading that stuff around. Um, but our exact understanding of it, there's still a lot to be learnt um, and caution is is to be, you know, uh, preached at every step. Lovely. And hand hygiene, as I'm sure everyone is saying a thousand times a day. Yes, and I think hand sanitizers became, um, I guess, the, the, the next version of the toilet paper rolls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Actually, my uh, my partner just came out earlier from the bathroom cupboard holding another little miniature bottle of sanitizer that we didn't know we had. So um, we might throw that on eBay later today and see what we can get for that. Um, the other the other interesting one's been this conversation around the use of uh, some vet equipment, um, mostly the ventilators, um, transferring those across to um, the human medicine world, Mags. Yeah, so um, I guess um, James can talk to that a little bit more because most of our ventilators are actually located in our, in our emergency um, and referral hospitals. Um, so we did we did do um, we we did actually um, come to the party and um, don't well I guess not donate but we um, we offered um, to um, lend our um, ventilators. There was about twenty five um, in our network that were of um, of of really good quality good quality enough to actually um, use in human health. So James can talk to that. James, just before you before you jump into that, uh, for me, I, I'm a human, I'm six foot two-ish and a bit, whatever, 188 centimetres. My my dog, my hypothetical dog's lungs that would need a ventilator aren't as big as mine. How does, how does that work? 
So ventilation um, is a very tricky thing. And in our emergency and critical care centres, um, we're geared up to ventilate patients um, down to a couple of kilos. Okay. Okay. Um, right. So, yeah. um, technically, one of our ventilators with all of its attachments can go down to um, below a kilo, but I wouldn't like to try that. Um, basically, they are. Um, we invested quite heavily in state-of-the-art um, human critical care ventilators, which have neonatal neonatal attachments. So, um, across our network, we bought seven of these brand new last year, um, and. Th- they are exactly what you would use in a human hospital for ventilating uh, a patient. Um, and they are uh, important pieces of our kit in dealing with a variety of things, whether that's uh, aspiration pneumonia, respiratory complications, heart disease, but classically, you know, things like tick and uh, snake animation, uh, where we where we utilize this to overcome temporary paralysis. So these uh, pieces of equipment are in our hospitals. Um, we've got uh, staff who know how to use them. Um, and when the uh, Australian New Zealand College of Intensivists, which are basically human uh, intensive care specialists, um, created a, a request for information, we collated all that information uh, and that uh, created a register. And uh, our, our two of our state-of-the-art ventilators have actually been loaned out and taken for um, integration into human health uh, and to be stored, ready to go in the event of uh, the pandemic situation getting out of control. So hopefully it doesn't come to that and we just get them back after a good clean uh, and they're ready to go. Amazing to to know that there's there's been that kind of support from the vet field and I think um, those listening to this, James, will um, appreciate that insight um, with somewhat of more of a technical insight too, which is great. Um, the other part of that was um, I, I heard... It's some somewhat of probably a myth that maybe even some vet staff would be asked to assist in a human health world in in, in an extreme circumstance. Um, scarily, it's not actually that much of a myth. Yeah, right. um, there was also uh, a request that came with the uh, intensivist college um, form, which asked for how many of our staff were um, had had knowledge on how to operate the machinery because. Uh, in, in, in Italy and in places in America, that's what they've actually run out of is people who know how to operate the ventilators. Um, now, obviously, you know, we're, we're fairly cautious. We're not out there preaching, yay, we're vets. We're going to go out and save, you know, humans from coronavirus. Um, and obviously, there are massive safety implications about being called into that kind of um, sphere. Uh, having said that, though, all of our vets said, look, you know, we'll consider it if someone calls us and, and that's what they deem is the best way forward, um, we'll do what we can to help. Um, and so, you know, whilst we weren't keen to look like heroes running out there and doing stuff, um, we've got, you know, criti- critical care specialists. Um, uh, and I'll answer it in the way that one of one of our criticalists um, put it to me, which was, uh, she said to me, James, I would prefer you to be ventilating me than my gynecologist. Yep. Right. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so, so a little bit, little, little, little bit of perspective on, uh, you know, she said basically you're comfortable with all the, the the knowledge. You know, you'd be better off than someone who hasn't thought about respiratory physiology for you know 25 years. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so thankfully, it hasn't even uh, hasn't even got close to that here, and uh, it's not something that we've had to really. Um, consider, but it's it's not as far fetched as it sounds. Yeah. Overseas, it has been something that um, that have been pressed into action. Yeah, well, let's hope it doesn't get that bad. Um, mm. I suppose just somewhat um, 
finally from you, Mags. Um, yeah, in terms of the pet owners and the, and the community out there, it sounds like everyone's, uh, or for the most part, being pretty understanding with the adjusted processes around um, getting in to see a vet or, 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 or pick up some medication or whatever it might be. But what, what can people continue to do um, to make sure we're supporting um, all of the vets? Yeah, I, I think the majority of our clients have actually written to us and, and told us how appreciative they are of the process and understand how, um, you know, being a frontline worker like we, we we are as veterinarians must be hard, but we've made it very, very um, accessible to them. And so we've had some really good feedback. Um, you know, I don't think many people, um, you know, would have negative things to say. I guess not being able to be face-to-face with a vet might not be a great experience, but... Most people are finding yep. that, um, you know, the experience that they're having is great for what it is in this period of time um, and they understand the difficulties in um, trying to protect staff, staff or team members. Um, so, yeah, we've, 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 we've always had um, clients that have been very supportive of us and I think in times like this it just comes out that, you know, they understand. And, and most people are, um, you know, are seeing COVID information online every single day and so, so they understand about the social distancing and, you know, a lot of people in um, various workplaces are wearing PPEs and are asking people to remain outside before they call them in. And so it's not like we're the only profession that is doing this, but I guess being such a unique profession where we have, um, you know, clients and patients, um, you know, this is something that's quite novel and, um, you know, it's it's just something that um, a lot of people, a lot of the media picked up on it actually at the start because one of our um, veterinary hospitals in Melbourne um, used to have an old drive-through, like it was an old um, liquor shop. And so, you know, the, the the media wanted to pick up on the drive-through veterinary consultation process and, uh, you know, they thought it was quite funny. But but in all honesty, it's working quite well and, and I think, um, you know, it, it's as well as it can be for, for what we have to do uh, to get through this. And in terms of mags, a lot like a lot of people losing their jobs and and maybe being short on finances, is that something that sort of impacted your clinics with with uh, clients not being able to pay for treatments or anything like that? Yeah, we've always been conscious that um, that you know there are gonna, there's going to be a segment of our um, population that that has pets that that really just you know struggle to find the finances, but. You know, there are so many options out there for pet owners at the moment, um, you know, in terms of, you know, um, you know, buy now, pay later options. And, and obviously, um, you know, we will do everything we can to give our clients options around treatments that meet their needs, but also obviously meet the needs of our, of our pets and make sure that they receive the treatment that they, they do need. It is difficult. And as you know, that's one of the issues um, that veterinarians face every day. You know, financial issues are one of the reasons why many... Um, vets find it hard to practice and so you know we are well aware of that and I I don't know whether it's too early in the piece to to have seen a lot of that happen um but you know certainly down the track it may be an issue if um people are out of jobs for for a significant period of time and we're hoping that that's not the case we're supporting our own teams um you know we've we've um you know um We've remained open, um, fully staffed in terms of, you know, the people that can work. Um, we're, we're, we've got a team that, um, you know, we haven't um, let off any of our um, of our staff, which has been great. Um, and it just means that people have surety around work, which is obviously really good at this time. Yeah. Well, it certainly sounds like you're, you're doing everything you can for both your staff and for the animal community, which is, which is excellent to hear. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, you know, as you know, um, Vets um, do have um, 
you know, issues in, in, in how they work, you know, with just everything around people's finances, unrealistic expectations, you know, euthanasia, difficult clients, all the things that we know. Um, and added added to that COVID, I think, you know, I think our staff are doing really well and we, we do have ways that they can contact us and let us know if they need any help from us. We've got mental first mental health first aid officers at every practice or at least in most of our practices. We've got an employee assistance program, a hotline they can contact. So if they need anything from us, we're there for them. Excellent. Wonderful to hear. And um, a big shout out to Cheryl uh, for her work in, involved in all that too um, and her help for setting us up with this this chat, um, which is awesome. Uh, just lastly, I guess, um, starting with you, James, um, maybe a little bit of a, a good news story that, uh, that you've picked up from, from your uh, network. There have actually been uh, a lot of good news stories um, that have come out of it. I think the biggest thing for me is just the teamwork um, that I've seen and people thinking on their feet and, you know, the pressures that Mags described are are everywhere in our profession. Um, But what we've seen from, from our clients and from our staff, it's just people pulling together and coming up with solutions. And that includes, you know, working with people with limited budgets and actually finding meaningful solutions and doing the best they can in a positive way. And I, I, I am just, the thing that's come out of it that's been a positive for me is um, the teamwork and the flexibility, agility, adaptability, all those words, um, it's just been phen- phenomenal. And we've actually got stuff done for our businesses and for our staff. And at the end of the day, veterinary businesses are all about people, okay? Doesn't, nothing matters except for the people you've got. And we've got stuff done for them in the last six weeks that we've probably been trying to do for six years. Um, and, uh, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention. You just uh, get stuff done when, when you're under under pressure. Um, and, and it's actually been a massive opportunity um, that I've seen our teams capitalise on. That's awesome. And Mags, from, from your side and from your teams? Look, I will absolutely second everything that um, James said. The, the, the most... The most positive thing that's come out of this is the fact that our team feels like we're part of a really big supportive organisation that really wants to do the right thing by its people. And, you know, over the last um, few weeks, you know, we've had our team reach out to us and say thank you um, over and over again for everything that we've done for them. And and that's been really sort of, you know, quite humbling because um, one of the things that's also happened is because people talk in our profession you know, we've we've filled positions that that have been vacant for for a while because people are like, I want to work for an organisation that actually looks after its looks after its people, and so um, you know, it's become a really big opportunity for us for recruitment because people want to work for an organisation that takes care of its people, and I think. Um, you know, like James said, think, things that we wanted to to do for a while um, have sort of now have to be done. You know, ASAP, and it's and and while it's been a lot of hard work, I think um, we've. Um, We've really um, stepped up, and I think we've we've made it so that um, you know we've set ourselves up for a really good position. Well done to both of you and and your teams all across Australia um, for the hard work you continue to do to look after us uh, humble pet owners um, who can be a pain in the backside at times. Yeah, thanks for taking some time to to talk to us. And thank you guys for your your initiative with Flynn's Walk. I think um, what what I love about what you guys are trying to do is that you're translating the goodwill into actions and raising awareness and actually getting out there and doing stuff and making some noise because 
these problems in our profession are really deep and they're really important that we address them. And uh, I think you guys have really, you know, from a pretty tragic scenario, um, have grabbed the, the bull by the horn, so to speak, and, and are really trying to do something positive with it. And, uh, and you'd be commended for that. Thank you, mate. Thank you. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's actually really nice for us to hear that back, um, the feedback loop back, that it is important and it is appreciated what we're doing. Um, yeah. And it yeah. is getting out to the yep. people who need to hear it. No, well done. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Um, as, as James said, you know, there are, there are a few people that are really, um, you know, trying to do the best thing they can um, for veterinarians in terms of um, mental health. Um, and, and certainly, um, as James said, I've been in the profession for 25 years and these, you know, these issues have been around for a long time and sometimes it's people like you guys that actually bring it to the attention of, you know, the general public and that makes a huge difference because then people are aware of some of the um, difficulties we face every day in our line of work and it makes them, I guess, um, more appreciative of, of the job that we do. Great to chat to James and Mags. Uh, we know time's precious in a time like this um, more so than ever and uh, really appreciate them taking the time to, to take us inside, Jez, as, as well, we wanted, um, inside the Green Cross Network and just hear a little bit about the people and the processes and um, even a little bit about what we can do as a community. Um, of course, there's so many support services out there as well. If, if you're in the vet field and you're having a bit of a rough time at the moment or you're a pet owner or, or just a, the common man or woman like uh, one of us, Jez, there's always support services out there. Yeah, there really are. There's a lot to go through. There's places like Beyond Blue. There's Kids Helpline if you're under 25. Headspace also if you're under 25. Are You OK? who we've had a lot to do with and who have given us a lot of support. Um, and also, if you are in a crisis or if you're in need of urgent help, you can always call Lifeline 131 114. There's a suicide callback service and an emergency call triple zero. But I think one of the best one of the best messages to take from today is look after yourself, look after your vets, and we'll all get through this together. That's it. And I think like what we're learning and hearing about is there's little random acts of kindness happening all over the place that yeah. um, can turn someone's day or or brighten their brighten their week. So um, keep that in mind, and and everyone's I guess just doing their best at the moment as well to get by, um, and and we'll come out the other side, um, and we'll go. Wow, what a what a hell of a journey that was. Yeah, yeah, what a what a twenty twenty that was. Uh, Jez, it's been a pleasure getting back behind the mic, and uh, there's going to be a lot more to come. Um, this is one of hopefully many episodes that will we'll roll out. Um, we're hopeful of continuing this beyond this current. Uh, climate yeah. yep so subscribe listen, share it around follow, yeah do all the normal things you can tell your friends that's it um if you are following us on facebook and not instagram or vice versa jump on it's at flynn's walk on on all the all the main channels so give us a like give us a follow and um until then take care of yourselves and take care of others you'll hear us next time